Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we have a little bit of a different type of episode here in Virtual Legality. As you can see on your screen right now, we've got the Disney logo because, well, strange things are happening in the state of Florida in response to the multimedia giant that is Disney, and more specifically about Disney's Reedy Creek Improvement District, which if you don't know, we're gonna discuss in this video, is a self-governing organization under Disney's control that basically allows them to act as their own county governing the place where Walt Disney World is located. Now, we're not gonna read through this document if you scroll through it with me a little bit here. You will see that it's written primarily to look like this. This isn't a terribly useful thing for us to go over in virtual legality. This is how a lot of documents actually look, both in the federal register, the state registers, and especially from older eras than the present day. This is actually from the 60s, as you might've seen on the front page. Instead, we're going to use a summary of the situation now. This is a website called All Ears Net. So you can probably guess on what side of this particular question this particular website falls. But it's still a useful history of what this thing is, how it operates, why it came into existence. Just understand that this particular summary is really going to be from the pro-Disney perspective. So here we say, basically, RCID, which is the shorthand for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, is a multi-purpose district that provides essential public services, regulates building codes, land use and environmental protections, and tries to provide direction for the efficient operation of Walt Disney World property. Improvement districts are not unusual, but they are more often found in rural areas that require hospitals or fire protection that is unavailable in unincorporated sections. And the idea is that the government has certain responsibilities and duties, such as providing fire protection, street lighting, garbage collection, water and sewer services, and other services for which people pay taxes. These are the common welfare type things that we think about as effectively civilized life. Sometimes, however, areas have requirements that extend beyond those general responsibilities. An improvement district is formed with the approval of a simple majority of the property owners. A specific boundary is established, and once created, the district operates as a political subdivision. On May 12, 1967, Florida's then-governor, Claude Kirk, signed a bill into law establishing the RCID. On the same date, he signed the Incorporation Acts for two incorporated cities within the district, Bay Lake and Reedy Creek. Reedy Creek is now called Lake Buena Vista. Lake Buena Vista and Bay Lake each house roughly two dozen people at any one time. So the one thing we see from the Reedy Creek Improvement District, as I described it earlier, the place where Walt Disney World is located, is that it's a bit of a legal fiction. You've got incorporated cities that are very, very small, two dozen people at any one time, and it's all designed around at the time, in the 60s, giving Walt Disney himself the ability to consolidate this land across two county borders and to be incentivized to build Walt Disney World in the way that it is built. And they use the Improvement Act and the various ways the Florida statutes think about that concept for improving rural areas, for the most part, to allow Walt Disney to get this governing body in Central Florida. These cities, quietly hidden on Disney property behind security gates, include all of the developed land within the property and are populated primarily by Disney employees who pay a low rent but do not own the land where they live. Now, there were two significant reasons for establishing the Reedy Creek Improvement District, according, again, to this summary article. The first reason was to ensure that Florida taxpayers would not be burdened with the cost of providing and maintaining 
essential public services and infrastructure required to build and operate Walt Disney World. This was essentially a swamp that they decided to build this theme park in. And that's an important point because as we'll see as we go further in this video, there's a pretty significant fight about what will happen if there isn't an RCID. The question was not just how water and power were going to be provided. The nearest high voltage power line was more than 15 miles away from WDW, that's Walt Disney World property, according to the RCID's website. But more importantly, who was going to pay for it all? And in this way, Disney paid for it all in the 60s and 70s primarily. Second, because the original plan was to build on land that spanned two different counties, and this will come up again as well, Orange and Osceola, it was necessary to have a unified governing body. And for those interested in the split here, Orange County has about 18,000 acres and Osceola has about 6,000 acres. Again, this will come up as we discuss the potential impacts of if there is no RCID. RCID has complete jurisdiction over the property owned by the Walt Disney Company in Central Florida and functions much like a separate county. It provides essential public services to the property, such as fire protection, flood control, waste collection, and environmental protection. If it wanted to, and this comes up a lot as kind of the funny trivia about Disney before now and now in articles about the RCID itself, the district could build its own airport or nuclear power plant. Disney goes nuclear, builds its own power plant not going to happen by the looks of things. RCID receives all its income from taxes and fees imposed within its boundaries. A board of five supervisors elected by the landowners conducts the business of the district at monthly board meetings, and the supervisors must also be landowners. Since Disney owns all the land in the district, Disney sells five-acre blocks of undeveloped land to its supervisor, and on completion of their terms, they sell it back. So again, Totally above board in terms of complying with the letter of the law, but obviously a kind of legal fiction as to what this thing is and intended to be under the various statutes of Florida outside of Walt Disney World. Votes are strictly proportional to the acreage owned, so the company basically governs its own property. Then you get a brief history here, and you say... RCID has spent in excess of $100 million on public road improvements. Recently, response times for the fire department has been consistently clocked at 45 seconds. We're going to get into a section of this article that talks about the glories of Walt Disney World and the Disney Company and all these various things. However you might feel about that is fine. Obviously, this is where a lot of the tilt comes in. Hey, we invented fiberglass construction. The Epcot building codes have been used and adopted across the country uh, because they are otherwise not constrained by Florida building codes etc, etc. An improvement district can also have its own law enforcement officers, and this will come up again as well, but Disney felt it was not a wise idea, legally or branding-wise, for Disney cast members with guns strapped to their waists to wander through the guest areas. Probably a smart public relations decision. So while Disney has hundreds of security officers, arrests and citations are issued by the Florida Highway Patrol and Orange County and Osceola County Sheriff's deputies. And they do that, we'll see referenced, through a contract with those bodies that you go and say, hey, we'll pay you money to perform this service for us. And that's perfectly normal as well. But they don't otherwise maintain their law enforcement. And then this finishes by saying Disney does have unparalleled control of the property. And though the RCID is essentially its own government. However, the existence of the RCID has allowed for development that could not have been accomplished any other way. So most importantly, when you look at this, the biggest thing is that they don't have to abide by certain building code requirements. They don't have to do these various things that another developer would have to do to comply with the counties, to comply with various authorities that would otherwise govern them. They have a more agile ability 
to actually develop their land because it didn't have anything on it, basically, uh, in the 1960s. And that's been the way it's been for this entire time. But of course, if you've been following the news, you know I didn't just bring this up in order to discuss a 1960s Improvement District Act in Central Florida. No, things have escalated a bit. Now, before we go into the history of the last month of Disney and Governor DeSantis and Florida, I want to take a step back. Because the underlying issue here is one that is very politically sensitive to a lot of people. I am not going to be talking uh, about the Parents' Rights Act, or if you're inclined, the Don't Say Gay Bill, or the substance thereof, or what Disney has had to say. Instead, we're going to be discussing the ramifications of what they've had to say, how the Florida legislature has responded to that, what might happen in this very specialized circumstance, and whether or not... That's a acceptable thing, a good thing, a bad thing. Talking editorially about that towards the end of the video and the potential legal problems that could arise therein. But for purposes of this conversation, since it is so politically fraught, one thing I would ask you, the viewer or listener, to do is to just separate from that underlying situation. So imagine the Florida legislature has passed a bill. Disney disagrees with it. Disney says something very publicly about disagreeing with it. And then the Florida legislature and the governor take action against it. We are going to be looking at some language about the bill itself. But what's most important about this discussion is really trying to separate from very sensitive issues that are at play in Florida to talk about whether or not this in particular uh, is okay. With that as background, and also the fact that I've been to Walt Disney World a lot and have enjoyed it throughout my youth and even adulthood. Let's take a look at what happened. So on March 28th, 2022, Disney puts out a statement here in tweet form. Florida's HB 1557, also known as the Don't Say Gay Bill, should never have passed and should never have been signed into law. Our goal as a company is for this law to be repealed by the legislature or struck down in the courts and we remain committed to supporting the national and state organizations working to achieve that. We are dedicated to standing up for the rights and safety of LGBTQ plus members of the Disney family, as well as the LGBTQ plus community in Florida and across the country. So again, Florida legislature passes a bill that the Disney management, at least, disagrees with strongly, and they put out a statement that doesn't just say we disagree strongly, but that their goal as a company is to have it repealed by the legislature or otherwise struck down in the judiciary, which is a very strong statement for ostensibly a politically neutral kind of entity to take, regardless of how you feel about the underlying legislation. Now that spirals a bit. The next day, you get Governor DeSantis of Florida saying, for Disney to come out and put a statement and say that the bill should have never passed and that they are going to actively work to repeal it, I think one was fundamentally dishonest, but two, I think that crossed the line. And you want to keep track of this kind of language coming out from the governor's office. For them to say they're going to actively work to repeal substantive protections for parents as a company that is supposedly marketing its service to parents with young children, I think they crossed the line. This state is governed by the interests of the people of the state of Florida. It is not based on the demands of California corporate executives. They do not run this state. They do not control the state. So politics all around. Again, you can have a feeling on DeSantis. You can have a feeling on Disney. That's kind of separate from the things that I'm highlighting here. This for them to say, the I think they crossed the line. Keep those in mind because those are going to come back uh, in this video. But that's how Governor DeSantis originally responded to this. 
Then the Florida legislators started taking control, saying yesterday was the second meeting in a week with fellow legislators to discuss a repeal of the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act, which allows Disney to act as its own government. If Disney wants to embrace woke ideology, it seems fitting that they should be regulated by Orange County. And I'm highlighting that not to highlight the language uh, or the way it's framed, but to point out that this is talking about if Disney wants to say something we don't like, it seems fitting that something bad should happen to them. This then escalates even further towards the end of a news conference in Ponta Vedra Beach on Thursday. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis commented on the possibility that state lawmakers could move to repeal the 1967 Reedy Creek Improvement Act. DeSantis said that a potential repeal of the act would not be made purely in retaliation over Disney's behavior, but could instead be part of a larger effort to strip the corporation of what the governor called special privileges. I would not say that that'd be retaliatory. This is Governor DeSantis speaking. I mean, the way I view it is, you know, there are certain entities that have exerted a lot of influence through corporate means to generate special privileges in the law. I don't think we should have special privileges in the law at all. So here we have Governor DeSantis saying, hey, you know, if the legislature is considering that, we should think on it. And then he says this special session of the legislature in Florida that was held in the last few days from this taping, should, among the new items they're discussing, discuss the elimination of the Reedy Creek Improvement District. This session was originally going to be mostly about redistricting, of which there are other concerns in Florida that I'm not going to go into, but one could think that this is also in part to distract from other discussions in that state, if you're so inclined. The changes have come as a surprise to many. In fact, when this was being reported on as this was all going down, most of the journalistic outlets that I could find said, well, since they're out of legislative session, since they're only going to be looking at redistricting, et cetera, et cetera, this couldn't possibly happen until 2023 at least. And of course, the governor calls a special session, adds this to the agenda of that special session. And then in the last few days, Florida Senate approves stripping Disney of self-government power. Florida House passes bill to dissolve Disney's special self-governing status. And then because Governor DeSantis called for that to be added to the agenda, absolutely no one thinks that he isn't going to sign that. In fact, by the time this video is uploaded, he might have already signed this bill stripping the Reedy Creek Improvement District of existence. It will no longer exist. Now, since we are a legally oriented channel and we're not just interested in politics fighting on Twitter and elsewhere, I think we should take a look at what this bill actually does. So this amends a specific section of the law and it says, notwithstanding statute 189.0722, which we'll get back to in a second, any independent special district established by a special act prior to the date of ratification of the Florida Constitution on November 5th, 1968. Now, that's a lot of extraneous language. You just need the date there, but it's interesting to see why they picked that date and which was not reestablished, re-ratified, or otherwise reconstituted by a special act or general law after November 5th, 1968 is dissolved, effective June 1st, 2023. An independent special district affected by the subsection may be reestablished on or after that June 1st, 2023 date, pursuant to the requirements and limitations of this chapter, which allows the state to set up these independent districts. So if we're looking at this cynically and real politic oriented, you would say, well, okay, so what they did here was primarily signaling uh, and they've given themselves a window of greater than a year to get Disney to the negotiating table to otherwise prove their point and potentially get Disney to stop talking about the bills that they pass, et cetera, et cetera, which is its own issue. We'll get to it, folks, if that jumped out uh, at you. 
but that they gave themselves this ability to negotiate in the future. And I think a lot of people think that that is what will happen. Now, I promised you we'd look at this 189.072 statute because a number of people online have gotten a little bit confused about this, and I don't necessarily blame them. So this section of the Florida laws says essentially how to dissolve an independent special district and says, well, in order to dissolve a district, the legislature has to work through some act that must be approved by a majority of the resident electors of the district. And that's pretty much in black and white. Anybody can read that. You don't need to be a lawyer. And yet what we have in this statute is notwithstanding that requirement, we're going to do this anyway. And people are objecting to that. Now, it's important to understand the level at which lawmaking occurs, right? So the constitution of a state is the highest law of that state's land, subject, of course, to the federal powers of the federal statutes and the federal constitution. However, the laws underneath it are all of equal power, give or take. So if we imagine that the laws of the state of Florida are effectively a contract written by the legislature, but between the legislature and the people, they always have the ability to amend that contract or to waive a provision of that contract. You might hear this if you're a 1L or otherwise in law school as a given legislature cannot bind a future legislature. You can't lock their hands behind their back because they are then the elector representatives of the people and that's how representative democracy works. So although this statute exists and says you can't do this unless you get a vote by the resident electors, there really isn't anything fundamentally wrong with a new statute coming in that is more recent than that older statute and amends or here waives the applicability of that older statute. Says, hey, notwithstanding that, we're still going to do this. Now, I probably would have written this slightly differently. I would have said that that statute expressly does not apply by virtue of the power of the legislature here. I wouldn't just throw a notwithstanding at it. But for those of you that are commenting on this online and say, hey, that provision blocks this, it does. But the legislature took special steps to say, we're doing it anyway. That doesn't count. It, it amounts to a waiver of the applicability of that statute. And for the most part, even though this, I think, is going to get litigated to hell and back, that kind of move is going to be allowed because the current legislature is not bound by the acts of the prior legislature. So keep that in mind as we also go forward. Now we get fighting about what this even means because it was done so rapidly. So first, we can look at uh, the staff kind of argument here, right? It says, all right, so notwithstanding, the bill dissolves all independent special districts. According to the Special District Accountability Program official list of spe special districts, there are 132 active independent special districts that were created by Special Act before that November 5th, 1968 date. Of those 132 districts, 126 appear to operate under a charter that was reestablished, re-ratified, or otherwise reconstituted after that date with six districts remaining. So you might also see online reference to the fact that, oh, this covered 132 districts in Florida. At least the staff analysis of this law suggests that that is not in fact the case. It is, of course, aimed at the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which is the last one listed, but there is also a Bradford County Development Authority, a Sunshine Water Control District, an East Point Water and Sewer District, Hamilton County Development Authority, and a Marion County Law Library in Marion County, which apparently works under this independent district concept. So there are six there, but obviously the big one here is Walt Disney World. You then get other analysis here. They say the counties aren't being required to spend funds or take action 
doing anything related to that and that this law is effectively a general law that operates universally throughout the state, gets rid of all independent districts on universal lines. So it probably isn't going to run afoul of what we might consider ex post lawmaking or bills of attainder, which if that's a phrase you don't recognize are laws that are aimed at one body, essentially by the legislature. Generally speaking in the United States, we don't like legislative authorities to be able to just say, you are bad, we don't like you, and we're going to craft a law that only affects you, which is why you see it written as broadly as it is. We're getting rid of all of them. It just so happens that that includes the one that I think everybody reasonable knows that they are aimed at, and that's why you get this kind of staff analysis. Now, in terms of the effects here, it is pretty substantial what they could be, and it's all in this section four. Financial allocations of the assets and indebtedness of a dissolved independent special district shall be handled pursuant to a different statute which says, unless otherwise provided by law or ordinance, the dissolution of a special district government shall transfer the title to all property owned by the pre-existing special district government to the local general purpose government, that is Orange and Osceola counties for this purpose, which shall also assume all indebtedness of the pre-existing special district. So you might also see online, and this is actually a little bit squirrely to get your hands around because there's so much politicking around this data that the RCID itself has issued tax-free bonds of somewhere between a billion and $2 billion. There's different numbers floating around. I couldn't nail that down without specific information about those things, but that it has a substantial amount of debt and when it is dissolved, that debt is going to be held presumably pro rata in proportion amongst the two counties, but we don't know. And realistically, a lot of places don't know what is going to happen from this. This will be the RCID negotiating with Orange County, with Osceola County, giving over property that houses fire departments and sewage treatment plants and those kinds of things figuring out what the tax structure looks like, how things are going to be assessed. And that's going to happen relatively immediately after this bill is filed, which is one of the complaints that some people have. Now, it is worth noting that there is a lot of fighting about what this thing does. And, and to me, as a lawyer, I actually think that's pretty suggestive of this going a little bit too fast. Um, you saw this basically passed within a, a number of days by the Senate and House of the state of Florida. We don't really have a lot of analysis as to what this is likely to look like in practice. I think those opposed to it in the Florida legislature were looking to have some of that analysis added to this deliberation process. That didn't happen. Uh, and so we're left with various reports that talk about what would this look like if it didn't exist. Here is the Orlando Sentinel in 2019 talking about this. So the good news is, is because it's not contemporaneous to this issue, it's not politicized in respect of this issue, but it also might be a little bit out of date. They say, known as the Reedy Creek Improvement District, the agency is able to sell tax-exempt bonds, write building codes, condemn property, develop and maintain its own infrastructure, and offer fire and emergency services. We saw that in the previous summary. It can levy taxes, but primarily it's taxing itself, and it can build whatever it wants, whether a theme park or an airport, most of without typical local oversight that encumbers regular developers. There is also another important benefit for Disney tucked inside Reedy Creek's 92-page charter. Construction inside the district is exempt from certain taxes and fees added by the county governments after Reedy Creek was created. So there is some benefit that Disney is getting, which we will see fought about online in just a minute. That means Disney doesn't pay impact fees. Those are the one-time payments developers make to offset the cost of public services like roads. 
The district pays for many of its own services, like fire and maintenance for the roads inside its boundaries. But if Reedy Creek didn't exist, Disney would pay the fees, like any other developer, to Orange and Osceola counties. Ultimately, in the 80s, this got fought over. The company and the local government came to an agreement in 1989, with Disney paying about $13 million for road improvements and Orange County agreeing not to challenge the charter for about seven years. But then they stopped paying fees and moved on with their lives. Additionally, Disney is also immune from attacks that other property owners pay to fund law enforcement. If the company was required to pay the tax, it would total about $21.1 million in fiscal year 2020. So that's a lot out of date in terms of the numbers. According to an analysis by the Orange County's Comptroller's Office, instead, Reedy Creek will pay about $10.5 million in a contract with the Orange County Sheriff's Office. That means Reedy Creek and Disney, by extension, nets a savings of about $10.6 million a year thanks to that tax exemption. Now, Disney notes it pays other taxes that offset the benefits built into its charter. Disney paid more than $120 million in taxes to Reedy Creek in 2018. Again, that's to itself for project improvements on its own land. The company and its Disney Vacation Club segment also pays 85% of the utilities for the district, which will fall under Orange and Osceola's purview once they take over as RCID is dissolved. Because of the taxes paid annually to the Reedy Creek Improvement District, Central Florida taxpayers are not burdened with additional costs of maintaining our infrastructure, said Disney spokeswoman Andrea Finger. Again, back in 2019. And then there's a bunch of paragraphs here about all the good Disney does and contributes to the community, etc., etc. So in 2019, the Orlando Sentinel is going out with saying, hey, they get some tax exemptions. They don't pay as much as other people for law enforcement. There's things to be concerned about. And yet... As of this situation, you've got folks saying almost entirely the opposite, right? This is an article entitled, End of Reedy Creek, Disney Won't Pay More Taxes, But You Will. One of the biggest myths circulating on the internet is that the end of Reedy Creek will finally force Disney to pay its fair share of taxes, boosting the economies of Florida and the counties its resorts are located in. Let's dispel that rumor right now. Not only is it wrong, it's the opposite that will take effect. This much is true. The Reedy Creek Improvement District is an extension of Disney that shields the company from oversight others have. The theme park operator taxes itself and gives itself permission to build whatever, wherever, so long as it follows building codes and other state and federal laws. And building codes is an open question because we know already that they have different building codes within the RCID. What Reedy Creek isn't a replacement for is the counties it exists in. Disney still pays the same property tax levied by the government in the school district that every other landowner pays. So how does Reedy Creek operate its own fire and sewer departments? Well, the special tax district status allows Disney to levy an additional tax on itself to pay for those services. The tax amounting to $105 million per year is illegal anywhere else in the county. Along with the additional $58 million per year, the company taxes itself to pay off Reedy Creek's bond debt. When the district is dismantled on June 1st, 2023, Orange County will begin paying for those services and paying off the debt without that special status in place. And and mostly this is talking about the rules under which counties can go and assess fees amongst their citizens. So they're saying you can't do this special thing for this special place if you're Orange County or if you're Osceola County. So you have to start looking at the tools that you have. And they find that the only tool that these particular counties have is a property tax. The moment that Reedy Creek doesn't exist is the moment that those taxes don't exist, Randolph said. And this is a former uh, comptroller, I believe. Orange County can't just slap a new taxing district onto that area and recoup the money that was lost. Effectively, Disney's loss of control also hands it a $163 million per year tax break. 
If the entire state of Florida was responsible for covering that hole, each taxpayer would have to cough up roughly $7.50. However, this burden will not be shared equally, and as we've talked about, it will be held by Orange and Osceola counties. Salvaging the budgets won't be pretty. State law prevents the counties from raising sales taxes or impact fees to cover the costs. They also must tax all areas of the county equally, meaning whatever they enact must apply to everyone. And then this individual says, I don't see how Orange County doesn't raise property taxes by 20 to 25%. And here I saw this reported on uh, wrongly as well. I don't believe this quote is saying they will have to be increased to 20 or 25%. That would be crazy for a property tax level. But in fact, that if you've got a 4% property tax, that becomes a 5% property tax. It would increase by 25%. That's what the county would probably have to do to cover this financial situation. Obviously, that would be a big deal to Orange and Osceola County land owners. Most people expect the legislature to backtrack on their plans in January, paring down some of Disney's unnecessary powers while maintaining Reedy Creek's taxing abilities, which would solve legitimately held complaints about the district's broad abilities while preventing the worst effects of this past week. However, Randolph said some damage was already done. For one, county and Disney staff will spend the next nine months or more meeting to discuss how to dissolve the district and transfer responsibility to the counties. And you will see threads and articles and discussion about the fact that this removal of the RCID is going to cost Florida taxpayers a fortune. But you're also going to see references to things like that Orlando Sentinel article in 2019, which says, hey, that's not necessarily going to happen. Also, the state legislature can impose impact fees, can do taxing districts and things like that. So we don't actually know how it will wind up. What we do know is that it happened very, very fast and also that it might have significant legal issues. Now, we already talked about potential bill of attainder concepts or ex post facto lawmaking and things like that. Uh, in the context of constitutionality. But what we haven't talked about is the really, really big one. And that's going back to the things that I highlighted before. So first, I want to talk about a federal law. And this is 42 USC section 1983, or civil action for the deprivation of rights. Now this is written, like many statutes are, pretty horribly to just discuss in a YouTube context. So I tried to highlight and cut out exactly what this says. But it says, every person who, under color of any statute, it's basically lawmaking of any state causes to be subjected any citizen of the United States or other person within the jurisdiction thereof. And I want to take a step back here because person in the law doesn't mean what person means to you when you say it. It doesn't mean an individual. It doesn't mean a human being. A legal person includes entities like the Walt Disney Company. But if you are a person who under the state laws causes a citizen or other person to the deprivation of their rights and privileges or immunities secured by the Constitution, you shall be liable. So this is a federal statute that says, hey, if you're a government official and you do something with your power to take away the constitutional rights of somebody within your purview, you could be in a whole lot of trouble. Which brings us to the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Now, as you might notice, we're not talking about the federal Congress here, but I didn't bring in the 14th Amendment, which actually applies the First Amendment to all the various state governments. You're just going to have to take my word for it. That does, in fact, happen. So if the state of Florida is violating someone's freedom of speech, they could have a significant problem. Now, you might also say, Rick, Disney was getting special privileges. Disney was getting something extra and taking them down to baseline that the other businesses are operating in should be fine. And to that, I would say, 
probably the government has a stronger case than if they were just punishing Disney or confiscating their assets or throwing Disney executives in jail. That much is true. But the fact that they have an existing benefit doesn't mean that their First Amendment rights can be violated by removing that benefit. Now, I also want to establish, in case this is an open question to you as well, that the current jurisprudence in the United States is that Disney is in fact a person that has First Amendment rights. I've pulled up the Citizens United decision, which is its own political ball of wax. I know that. And it's a Kennedy decision, so it meanders, but it has a number of interesting lines that go towards this question. It says, there is simply no support for the view that the First Amendment, as originally understood, would permit the suppression of political speech by media corporations. The First Amendment was certainly not understood to condone the suppression of political speech in society's most salient media. And it's hard to dispute that Disney is a very large, very effective media corporation. When government seeks to use its full power, including the criminal law, which isn't an issue here, but we'll allow it, to command where a person may get his or her information or what distrusted source he or she may not hear, it uses censorship to control thought. This is unlawful. The First Amendment confirms the freedom to think for ourselves. Now, this was actually prohibiting corporations from speaking on certain things. So this is a bit stronger than what we're looking at right now. This is a situation where a company like Disney has certain beneficial rights. It wouldn't like the RCID if it didn't help it. So we can assume that as its baseline, at bare minimum for that agility to build another spaceship Earth Epcot ball or something else at a relatively fast clip compared to what other developers would have to go through, that if you take that away in certain circumstances, that could be a problem for you. Enter Board of Commissioners Wabanasi County versus Umber. It's just trying to trip me up on pronunciations here. This is a Supreme Court decision from 1996 that is not an exact match, but I find it enormously useful for what is happening here. So this is about a government contractor. It says, during the term of his contract, Umber was an outspoken critic of Petitioner, the Board of County Commissioners of Wabanasi County, the three-member governing board of the county. So this is an individual, I believe he's doing trash collection, and he's contracted by the county to collect that trash. Now, that's a benefit to him, and it's a benefit that we're not guaranteed. I can't walk in to the Board of County Commissioners of Wabanasi County and say, I demand a contract to collect your trash, because I don't have a constitutional right to that. I don't have a right to that, and they can say no. We don't have to give you that contract. But this individual already had that contract. He had a benefit. I think the RCID is a pretty good analog for the notion that Disney is a contractor of the government. It's performing political and governing functions realistically on behalf of the state of Florida under the rules of a contract that was set forth in the mid-1960s. So I think contractor is a pretty good way to think about that. Now, he then criticizes the board. Umber spoke at the board's meetings, wrote critical letters and editorials in local newspapers regarding the county's landfill user rates, the cost of obtaining official documents from the county, alleged violations by the board of the Kansas Open Meetings Act, the county's alleged mismanagement of taxpayers' money, and other topics. The board's members, allegedly, took Umber's criticisms badly, threatening the official county newspaper with censorship for publishing his writings. So this is not a great start for the old board here, but they don't like being criticized. This individual is a contractor of theirs, so they cut him off. And he sues under 1983, that statute we were just talking about. The district court at a lower level assumes that Umber's contract was terminated in retaliation for his speech and that he suffered consequential damages. But it held... 
that the First Amendment does not prohibit the board from considering Umber's expression as a factor in deciding not to continue with the trash hauling contract at the end of the contract's annual term. In other words, he's a troublemaker. The board's allowed to evaluate that he's a troublemaker and they don't have to just renew his contract, even though they otherwise have the right to decide who they contract with. But I'm not reading you the district court opinion. I'm reading you the Supreme Court opinion. So the government needs to be free to terminate both employees and contractors for the usual things that you can con- that you can terminate employees for. Poor performance, to improve the efficiency, efficacy, and responsiveness of service to the public, to prevent the appearance of corruption, reasonable things. And absent contractual, statutory, or constitutional restriction, the government is entitled to terminate them for no reason at all. Said another way, if you imagine that last year, Governor DeSantis and the Florida legislature says, you know what? We've looked at it. We think RCID is a bad idea. Uh, We think that the state of Florida should have more autonomy over those areas. We want to be in control of the things we're in control of in the other county levels. And so we think it's a bad idea. And it wasn't otherwise precipitated at all by Disney. Then in general, the government can do that. Government can say, okay, we're in charge of statutory rules. We're in charge of governing the, the state here. And so we can get rid of it. Absent all these restrictions, the government is entitled for no reason at all. But either type of relationship, again, we're talking about employees and independent contractors here, provides a valuable financial benefit, the threat of the loss of which in retaliation for speech may chill speech on matters of public concern by those who, because of their dealings with the government, are often in the best position to know what ails the agencies for which they work. Now, Disney isn't an independent contractor, not formally, but they do regularly interact with the government. So in general, we favor under the First Amendment their ability to speak on such things, especially after Citizens United and other precedents of the Supreme Court that do say that corporations have the right to use their resources to communicate on issues of public concern. Further, in case you do think that just taking away a benefit is not the same under constitutional precedents as otherwise punishing, throwing in cages. The Supreme Court precedent actually says the opposite. It says our modern unconstitutional conditions doctrine holds that the government may not deny a benefit to a person on a basis that infringes his constitutional, constitutionally protected freedom of speech, even if he has no entitlement to that benefit. So Disney doesn't have to argue we're entitled to the RCID. They don't even have to argue that they are detrimentally relying upon its existence for the last 50 plus years, which you might think that they could do if that statute, if that act were a contract. You say, look, we just invested in things based on this existing. You have to be barred from getting rid of it. That might be something they bring up in court, but they don't even have to reference it to find themselves in a First Amendment problem. If this is retaliation for our freedom of speech, it doesn't matter that it's a benefit that you're removing, that we're not otherwise entitled to. It just matters that you're doing it in retaliation. While protecting First Amendment freedoms, we have, however, acknowledged that the First Amendment does not create property or tenure rights. You're not guaranteed the RCID and does not guarantee absolute freedom of speech. The First Amendment's guarantee of freedom of speech protects government employees from termination because of their speech on matters of public concern. And here we get more into the facts of the situation. We're not going to go into it too deeply because Disney isn't an employee of the government. Disney isn't even really an independent contractor of the government, but it's a good analog for what is a very novel situation. There just aren't a lot of improvement districts, self-governing theme parks out there in the country or probably in the world. So you have to start looking for analogs here. And I think this is a pretty good one. The benefit aspect doesn't matter. If this was done in retaliation for speech, 
then it very well could. And there's different standards that go along with that. I've pulled up a very good summary. This is actually not in their circuit, uh, but this doesn't appear to have been looked at by the Supreme Court as best that I could find in my research here. It says, to establish a First Amendment retaliation claim under 1983, the plaintiff must show he engaged in a protected activity. So here, as I said at the start of this story, Walt Disney puts out a statement. Walt Disney says something about the legislature. This is a matter of public concern easily. And then in responding to it, you have the governor of the state say things that begin with, for them to say X, I think they crossed the line. And then in response to that, the legislature starts saying, hey, if they're going to embrace woke ideology, that's language, that's speech, we're going to punish them in this way. The governor then adds on to that saying, oh, it wouldn't be retaliation. It would simply be us looking to take back control of our state, but all in the auspices of this happening and this sequence of events. He then specially adds it to the legislative session to be discussed. And I think Disney would have a very, very, very strong case to say that, look, this was done because we engaged in speech. The second prong, the government official took adverse action against them, sure seems to be adverse to Disney, that would chill a person of ordinary firmness from continuing in the activity. Now, obviously this has already happened, so we're kind of looking at it objectively as if it were the next time. Would the next Disney that has an RCID be reluctant to do that with this legislature because of what just happened? And I think a person of ordinary firmness operating the way that they have for 50 plus years would think twice about making a statement, making a position that did this kind of thing because of what the Florida legislature did. Now, again, you might hate the bill. You might be entirely against Disney. You might be entirely for Disney. That doesn't matter to this kind of set of events. Disney has a right to speak on issues of public concern. They did so. Sure looks like the government took adverse action against them, and it was drastic enough that I think it would chill the future speech of an ordin- of a person of ordinary firmness looking at this. And then the adverse action was motivated, at least in part, by the exercise of the protected activity, right? So going back to what DeSantis is talking about here, when he says, whoa, this isn't retaliatory because he's got good lawyers. He, he's looking at it and saying, well, we have to be very careful to say it's not retaliation against their speech because they know this. They know that 1983 pops up. They know that the First Amendment said, no, no, no. This is just because they have a lot of influence. You're not really helping yourself that much. And they have a lot of special privileges. I don't think we should have special privileges in the law at all. That's a good kind of argument here that this is of general applicability. But I do think a reasonable mind could look at this sequence of events and say that sure looks like it's motivated at least in part by their speech and not just the existence of the RCID. Why is this happening now? Why did this happen so fast? You called it within a month. It passed within three days. Why is this all occurring? Well, it looks to me on the outside, regardless of the underlying bill, that they were engaged in a protected activity and they had that speech chilled by a legislature acting very strongly against them. So that's everything I've got today on the Reedy Creek Improvement District. As I mentioned, I've loved Disney World my whole life. I went there a ton of times as a kid and I haven't been in a few years, primarily because of the pandemic. Uh, But what do you think of all this? What do you think of the Reedy Creek Improvement District being stripped by the Florida legislature? Do you think that's acceptable? Do you think it matters or should matter under the law that, hey, this was a benefit that they got that other companies didn't get and we're removing it and we're basically just evening the playing field? 
Does it matter to you about the precedents that I just showed that say, hey, a benefit, even if it's not guaranteed, if you take it away in connection with speech, that's a very bad thing under Supreme Court precedent. Does that matter to you? How do you feel about this? Please leave a comment in uh, this video uh, and let me know because I'm very interested. Obviously, this is a different kind of topic than we usually cover. I don't think we'll be dropping in on a lot of improvement districts being dissolved very quickly by state legislatures, but you never know. Either way, if you like this kind of content, the discussion of business and law, pop culture, theme parks, video games, and more, please consider supporting the channel at Utreon. We cannot do it without viewers and listeners like you. Or if you're not comfortable or you don't know that platform so well, please do check out our Patreon. Identical content, identical tiers uh, on both sides of that. It's just that Utreon gets a little bit more money over to us rather than getting stopped up in the platform itself. Otherwise, if you just want to subscribe, tell your friends that we're having these conversations, upvote, downvote, leave those comments, answer those questions, leave your own thoughts on this particular topic. Every little bit helps get us seen by the YouTube algorithm and others on the internet, and that helps us grow and hopefully have conversations with more and more people. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.